Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mother of four, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of the Crystal Payne Show. Today, we're doing something that we've not done in the past. We have had repeat guests before, but I've never had a person come this close together, but I am so excited about this. Y'all remember the episode that I did with Michelle Couchat? Very, it was right around Thanksgiving. Um, We talked all about the very important principle of loving other people, even when you don't necessarily agree with them. But There was so much we had to talk about in that episode that we didn't get to talk about something that I really wanted to dive into, and that was Michelle's story. And so today, I get the honor of having Michelle back in Nashville so that she can share more of her Mm -hmm. really powerful story and her journey, because she has a brand new book that's coming out. It's called A Faith That Will Not Fail, 10 Practices to Build Up Your Faith When Your World Is Falling Apart. And Michelle... You definitely know what it's like to have your world Mm. fall apart. Tell us a little bit, just some snippets of Mm -hmm. your journey and your story as we start. Absolutely, Crystal. And thanks again for having me back. It's so good to see you again. Well, you know, I grew up uh, in a faith-based home. So my parents became Christians when I was about six, seven months old. And so I have a really solid, fairly typical childhood of faith, growing up in the Midwest, going to church, believing that there is this good God that we could pray to and He would listen to us and answer our prayers. Uh, And then I grew up and became an adult. And starting right around uh, 21 or so, I uh, started a series of consecutive losses that just never have stopped to this day. Um, It included things like marriage and unexpected divorce and single motherhood and step family and raising stepkids, blended family. And then Uh, When I was about 39 years old on an ordinary Tuesday before Thanksgiving, I got a phone call that was really the the most significant uh, challenge and loss that I had faced today. And on the other end of that phone was my doctor who simply said, "Um, I'm sorry, Michelle, it's not good. And he proceeded to tell me at that moment that um, the week before I had gone to see him, I had an ulcer on my tongue that wouldn't heal. Uh, We thought it was just I had uh, maybe bitten it at some time or I'd eaten too many tomatoes and citrus, Um, but he did a biopsy on a whim. And that day on that Tuesday before Thanksgiving, he let me know that I had squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue or cancer of the tongue. Now, I didn't even know that could happen. (laughs) I've never heard of that before. Uh, I was a 39-year-old woman who did half marathons and triathlons and ate healthy. I had kids at home. It just didn't make any sense. A non-smoker. And here I was faced with cancer. Well, that initial diagnosis turned out to be a best case scenario. But uh, what happened over the next four years is that uh, cancer came back two more times. The most recent of which was again at Thanksgiving. And uh, this was the third time it had come back. And this time it required uh, a nine-hour surgery where they took out two-thirds of my tongue. They cut open my arm from wrist to elbow, took out 
tissue and vessels to hopefully rebuild my tongue, as well as about an eight-inch incision on my neck. They took out my submandibular gland, lymph nodes, all of that, and then tried to piece me back together mm-hmm. in order to be able to function. So, um, you know, without going into too much detail, uh, you use your mouth more than you realize, mm-hmm. more than just eating, talking, swallowing. You don't realize how many times, uh, you know, an hour you swallow, uh, obviously speaking, drinking water, uh, anything like that. And so they needed me to be put back together like Humpty Dumpty in the hope that I could have a fairly functional life. At the same time, they were hoping to remove all the cancer because since I had come back so many times, they literally knew if they didn't do extreme measures, I would not live. Mm-hmm. After giving me about four weeks to recover, then they started uh, pretty intense chemotherapy and external radiation as well as internal radiation. I'll save that story for another day. But by the time all was said and done, uh, I was covered with radiation burns on the top third of my body. Uh, I had my vocal cords were so swollen and burned that I couldn't make a sound. Uh, I had a feeding tube. I had a tracheostomy and uh, and no guarantee that I would live. And even if I did live, what would my quality of life look like on the other side? And so between those Three cancer diagnoses, uh, divorce, remarriage, stepfamily, single motherhood. And then in the middle of all that, my dad died of pancreatic cancer. Suddenly, uh, we also foster adopted three kids with a history of severe abuse, neglect. Um, my life for the last 30 years has been, um, and I don't want to overstate it because there are certainly people with really hard things that I know mm-hmm. nothing of, but uh, the last 30 years have been riddled with suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, And what do you do with that when you grow up believing in a good God who you love and you're told that he cares about you and that he's there for you? And yet every time you turn around, you have one more loss, one more um, disappointment, one more um, excruciating pain. And what do you do with that? How do you Mm. believe in a good God when your world is falling apart? That's the question. Mm. And in this book, you shared 10 practices. And I thought it was very interesting that you started with the practice of lament. (laughs) Yes. Which I think is something that, I mean, we've heard that word, Mm -hmm. but I think it's not a real common thing you hear preached from pulpits. And Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to just unpack what does that word mean to you? Well, I think we make a mistake at times in um, faith-based circles where we we so want to believe in a good God or we want to make people be positive that we fail to give people space to grieve and lament, to actually just be sad. Uh, The truth is, is the losses I've had in my life are significant. Um, My heart feels a lot of grief, even to this day. Over There's additional things, even since my most recent cancer diagnosis, that are more losses on top of losses. And we want to rush so fast to praise Mm -hmm. that we forget to allow ourselves and each other moments to just weep. Uh, and the idea of lament is very, uh, very woven through all of the Bible, but we forget that grief is just as much a part of worship as praise. Uh, when Jesus was on the cross, when he was nailed to the cross and he was dying and in agony, God wept. When Jesus' friend Lazarus was dead in the grave, Jesus wept. 
Uh, if, the, if the Son of God could allow space for lament, then we need to do the same. In fact, it's a critical part of a faith that will not fail in our path to healing. Mm. You say, before Jesus walked out of a tomb, he grieved in a garden. The tears we shed today only water the joy when all is healed. But what does it actually actually look like? Like for you, what did lament yeah. look like when you got that cancer diagnosis? Yes, well, you know, it, the first diagnosis came with all kinds of fear. And the loss in that was just the loss of my innocence of thinking that cancer happens to everybody else, not me. Mm-hmm. But after 10 years, you know, it's been, let's see, 13 years now that I've been dealing with cancer off and on. And it's, I know it can come back at any moment. I'm not free and clear. Uh, the practice of lament for me is mourning the fact that this is part of my story. I never wanted this. This is not what I hoped for. In fact, I did a lot of things in my life to prevent <laughs> getting sick, mm-hmm. and yet it still happened. And so grieving that and sitting with the sadness of that, practically speaking, there were, uh, especially in those two years after my most recent diagnosis, where I allowed my time I allowed myself time to sit outside on my back patio with a spiral notebook and just write down the losses that came as a result of losing my tongue and my ability to speak and swallow. Things like, I can't taste birthday cake when it's my kids' birthdays and I make a cake. I can't taste it. I've lost 70 to 80% of my taste. That's a loss. Uh, I remember one day in particular, I just all of um, the grief felt so overwhelming and I needed to find a way to get it down. And so I just started writing down the things that I had lost as a result of my cancer journey and filled up several pages. Mm. But what that did is allowed me to give voice to the things that I had lost in a way that I could then take them to Jesus and say, I'm playing, you know, this is what I'm mourning. I'm going to sit it right with you on the cross because that's that's why you came is to um, make it possible for someday all of these tears to be wiped away. But for now, I'm going to sit with you in it. You say grieving is the necessary first step to new living. And I love how you talk about how we want to just jump to praise, mm-hmm. but we need to have this space to grieve. But how do we know Like, how do we get from this space of grief to that space of praise? Yeah, because, you know, it's easy to get stuck in that place of just seeing everything that's wrong. Uh, You know, I think often of the story of Joseph. In fact, I was just thinking of it yesterday in the Old Testament. Uh, Joseph was one of many brothers. His brothers didn't like him. I was telling my son about this yesterday. I said, Joseph was an annoying brother. He said, you mean like me? (laughs) Kind of. And so his brother sold him to slavery and he went through all kinds of hard things. But by the end of his life, there was this, he found himself in a, a, a position of leadership in that particular kingdom. And when there was a famine, he was able to do things in order to save his family's life. Um, and so there was lots of years of loss and grief before Joseph got to that moment. And so at some point in time, as we go through this grief, we start to turn the corner. And by the way, There's no set time for grief. Nobody can tell you how long it should take or shouldn't take. It's different for everybody. Um, The point is, is to keep walking forward through it rather than staying stuck in one place. But at some point you start to turn the corner and say, 
what have I, what has resulted as a possible unexpected gain or gift as a, not in spite of the suffering, but as a direct result of it? Mm. So for example, I've made my living as a speaker and a speaking coach for 15 plus years now. This is what I do. Uh, When I was going through the grief, I thought, who's going to hire a speaking coach that sounds like me? I talk funny. Mm. (laughs) Who's going to do that? And then I found out that I started to think, but what if the fact that I've overcome so much actually makes me more of an expert, more of a credible authority about what it takes for uh, powerful connection and communication? Um, Because I'm not relying on my articulation. I'm actually relying on the words and the hearts and the connection I have with the people that I'm speaking to. What if that actually gives me an opportunity? What if it's not just a loss, but it's a gain? Mm -hmm. And so slowly all of us, and I really do believe that God's the one that helps us to start to see the possibility in the places of our pain. Uh, It doesn't make the pain go away, but all of a sudden it gives us purpose in it. You talked about how you live every day knowing that the cancer can come back. And I think for a lot of people, they have some fear in their life, fear of you know, a very real thing, or maybe it's something that, you know, could seem a little bit more out there, but they're living with this fear. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Like, how Uh, are you living and not just letting that stifle your ability to love your life? Totally. Well, and I think over the last few years, we've had, you know, pandemic, we've had political upheaval, we've had, you know, unprovoked war <laughs> around the world. We've had all kinds of things that have happened over the last few years uh, that left, have left all of us feeling more unmoored than we ever have been before. We feel, and I, I'm sure you see it as you look around news, talk to friends, whatever, uh, the insecurity right now and our sense of confidence in the fact that the best is yet to come or life is going to only get better, it's not there anymore. We're struggling with mental health. We're struggling with anger. We're struggling with all of these things. And and it all comes down to this idea of fear. By the way, C.S. Lewis said, I didn't realize that grief would feel so like fear. Mm-hmm. And not to paraphrase, but it's his quote. And I thought, that's so true. Gr- grief is so tied up into fear. Because when we lose something, we're aware of, of the fact that the worst can happen. So, you know, what do we do with that? Ultimately, and I'm going to say this and unpack it a little bit, we have to decide um, to uh, not anchor ourselves to an outcome, but to anchor ourselves to a person. Mm-hmm. This is so hard. And for those of you listening that are suffering, I know this is so hard. If you have a diagnosis or you have a, ch- a child who's struggling or you've been unemployed and you don't have to pay the bills, it is so hard not to be consumed with the outcome. Um, but if we are consumed with outcomes, we're always going to be chasing outcomes, mm. Right. Because the outcomes that we're aiming for always change. We have got to get ourselves anchored to somebody who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That is the only way you and I are going to find security and confidence and to be grounded. We have to anchor ourselves to something that's bigger than us and bigger than our circumstances. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. 
I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in, and all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. So practically speaking, because I think people always like, okay, I I want to anchor myself to something other than an outcome. How do we do that? Yeah. For me, it was a lot of practices that I talk about in this book, things like the practice of relinquishment, of being able to say, God, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I trust you. One thing I did early on in my diagnosis is I would say out loud, every time the fear would bubble up, I would say out loud, I trust you, God. I trust you. Saying, I trust you, God. I trust you started to change the tone of my fear. It didn't make it go entirely away, but it changed the object of my focus from this unknown outcome to a person who I believe would be with me no matter what happens. Uh, The practice of um, perspective. This was another way for me to get grounded as well. Uh, As awful as three cancer diagnoses are and living with the fear of cancer, I live in the United States where I have access to great doctors and I have great support system and all of that. And again, it doesn't make the battle easier, but it's a practical way for me to take control of my thoughts to take control of the narrative in my head. And even though I still get afraid, I remind myself I have more support than I think I do. Uh, The practice of, of shalom. Shalom, that's the idea of completeness and wholeness. And God wants us to be at peace with him right here, right now, no matter what happens. And so learning to kind of sit with that and say, God, you know, you are the Prince of Peace. You are the author of peace. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to trust you in this. And somehow, no matter what happens, we're going to walk this thing out. You know, it's not easy. A lot of it has to do with how we think and process and what we choose to focus on, even how we talk. Um, but these, literally, these practices I talk about in the faith that will not fail are the things that anchored me. Mm-hmm. They were the things that I used on a daily basis that helped me to weather um, my world when it fell apart. 
one of the things I love about the book is the chapters are very short. So each practice you have five days. And I think you could really give this to someone who they're walking through a Mm -hmm. hard time or for yourself as you're walking through a hard season and just read a little bit every day. I like that it's broken down very practically. And then at the end of each day, you have a five minute faith builder. And so you give them something actionable to do, to take action, to not just read it and be like, well, that sounds good, but to actually apply it. And, and I think that that's so tangible for people to be able to take these practices and break them down into something that they can actually do. Do. Yes. When we're, when we're in a place of kind of overwhelming circumstances, suffering, some kind of lingering unknown that is kind of holding us hostage, we get frantic and we panic. And when we panic, uh, our executive function in our brain just doesn't even work, right? We can't even think of practical things to do. And so the idea of this was putting it down. So that way, when you're in this place where you are so overwhelmed, you can hardly get out of bed. You have something tiny right there that says, but do this one step, one baby step at a time. You don't have to sit there and be a giant of faith. All you have to do is take a tiny little step. It's, you know, that whole um, Jesus talking about if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, these are mustard seed chapters, just tiny. And just to help you take one more step to, toward a faith that will not fail. So one of the practices is forgiveness. And that is a big, weighty word. Talk to us about what forgiveness has looked like in your life. Mm. Forgiveness has needed to happen in multiple different directions. You know, to begin with, uh, I have over the years dealt with a lot of anger and disappointment to, toward God. I mean, I was the little girl that was reading her Bible and praying and, you know, believing at a very young age. I mean, I remember praying for my someday spouse and kids when I was in junior high school, Mm. you know, long before I ever met them. Uh, And then to have so many things happen that were the opposite of what I prayed for. Boy, I've had to deal with a lot of anger and disappointment toward God. And so you know, kind of like Job, I brought my charges against God. I have a chapter where I talk about that. Of You know, there's a lot of things we don't understand about uh, how God behaves or what he does or doesn't do. And so forgiveness looked like me being honest with him about that, to bring it to him and say, hey, I'm not too happy about how this all played out. Forgiveness also looked like forgiving myself. I have a lot of regrets, a lot of things that I wish I could go back and do differently. And some of that comes at this age of, you know, I'm 51 now. And at this stage of my life, you know, there's more life behind me than there is ahead of me. And there's so much that I'm like, if I would have just done A, B, or C, I wouldn't have ended up in this place or I wouldn't, this wouldn't have happened. And forgiveness looked like going, you know what? I did the best I could with the information I had. Uh, And what if God has used even this? for his glory. Uh, And then forgiveness has looked like, you know, forgiving uh, relationships in my life that have failed me. I've got plenty of those too. And, you know, the practice of lament and forgiveness need to go very closely together because if we forgive without acknowledging the loss, you know, so many times in faith circles, we think we just have to forgive and pretend like it wasn't painful. No, Mm. that's not, that's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness comes at a cost. Forgiveness always costs something. And so we lament 
We acknowledge the pain. We tell the truth about how we've been wounded. And that enables us then to move on to the fact that in Jesus, you forgave. You paid a price because you loved me. Enable me to do the same with this person today. I hear from people who say, I don't want to forgive. Like mm-hmm. it, the, the pain is too deep. I, I'm too angry with God or with others or with myself. I don't think I can forgive. Mm. Well, yeah, I get it. There are times that it is really, really comfortable and even in kind of a sadistic way, soothing to hang on to unforgiveness and anger and bitterness towards somebody that's wounds you. But as someone who uh, has done that and experienced cancer, I can tell you that unforgiveness is a cancer that only impacts you, not the other person. It will eat you up. It is never status quo. Unforgiveness grows. Mm. You either deal with it or it grows. Uh, forgiveness is not so much about the other person. It's about you being at peace in your own heart. So if you want to live cancer-free in your soul, the practice of forgiveness is something that you're going to have to do over and over again. And I have to too. Otherwise, you know, when I have let unforgiveness sit there, uh, it starts to rob me of joy. It starts to rob me of peace. The other person could care less if I've forgiven them or not, but I'm eaten up on the inside and that is no way to live. So every day of your life, you get up and you are choosing, choosing faith Mm -hmm. because you could choose fear, you're Mm -hmm. choosing faith. I'm thinking of just tomorrow, you're getting ready to go record the audio book for this book. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge endeavor, (laughs) a huge, I mean, as someone who I have a normal mouth and tongue, I don't have the struggles and suffering that you've gone through. And I... No, it is exhausting. And so mm-hmm. I think of you and how how exhausting that is. But you're choosing mm-hmm. faith. How do you go into a day like tomorrow and the next day when you know it's going to be mm-hmm. a lot of work, yeah. a lot of pain? A, a, it's going to be hard. It's how do you approach hard. that? Uh, you know, uh, we can handle just about any suffering, any loss, any pain, as long as we know two things. One. Uh, that we are not alone in it. That's so important. And we have the presence of God with us um, no matter what. He said, I, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I believe when I go in there tomorrow, tomorrow, he walks in there with me. If I'm still here, if I'm still breathing, then he still has purpose for me here. And I have to believe that. Um, the other piece of that equation, so we can handle any pain, suffering, loss, as long as we know two things. One, that we're not alone, that he is with us. And two, uh, that there is meaning or purpose that can be gained from it. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that everything happens for a reason. I don't believe that load of garbage. What I'm saying is that even the worst things will not be wasted when they are just square in the Father's hands. When I go in uh, to this studio tomorrow to record this um, book, I am very much standing up and saying, that no matter how much I lost, I'm not giving up on life. Mm. It is a way for me, and I'll get emotional here, but it is a way for me to say that suffering doesn't get the last word. Mm. Someday, this life will be done for all of us. But for now, suffering is not going to get the last word. I will go in there and I will speak 67,000 words on this audio book and it will be my 
little rebellion against the evil of this life and me standing up and saying, but I still believe. I still believe that God is good, that God loves us, and that no matter how much it looks like the world is running on the, off the rails, He's still in control, mm. and the promised land is coming. That's how I go in there and do it. That's how I wake up, up every day and choose to keep living. It's not easy. There are some days where I just want to stay in bed because the suffering's been too much. And yet I sit there and I picture Jesus on the cross, and I, I picture Him there, um, suffering for our sake simply so we would know we're not alone mm. and that there is purpose and pain. And if he could do it, then I can do it too. I love this quote in your book. You were talking about how you were always singing was your thing. You know, and, <laughs> and this was something that you didn't know whether you would be able to sing again and how mm-hmm. it has, your voice has changed, but you can still sing and you still I wouldn't, choose. I wouldn't stand in front of me in church. It's not <laughs> so great, but I still sing. <laughs> but you're choosing. Like yes. It's a choice. You're choosing to show up and sing. You said, if I allow myself to grow silent in my suffering, grief wins. But if I sing from the place of my losses, If I turn my face to heaven and praise God for his goodness with a broken voice, then the losses are redeemed in the name of heaven. You said, I choose to worship instead of withdrawal. And I just, Mm. I just want to, as we close this out, just tell you, thank you. Like I remember sitting with you in your living room when it was a really dark, dark Mm -hmm. season. And I remember that. And you have chosen to show up every day single day. Even when I know there were many days you didn't want to, you didn't want to get out of bed, but you chose to show up and you're continuing to choose to show up. You're continuing to go and record your audiobook tomorrow. When I know so many people would just be like, that's too hard, Mm -hmm. but you're saying, no, I'm going to sing. I'm going to speak. I'm going to show up. And I just want to thank you for doing that because there's so many people who need this message. There's so many people who Mm -hmm. need someone like you who has gone through such great loss to continue to stand up, to continue to say, my faith is not going to fail. No matter what happens, I still believe in Jesus. I still believe in God's goodness. And I still believe that he is enough when my world is falling apart. So I just, I just want to speak that into you and just say, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the podcast mm-hmm. today. When also you could have said, I got to go record my audio book tomorrow. I want to save my voice. <laughs> and miss came, a chance. <laughs> you miss a chance to talk with you. But you came to do this. Yes. And I just know that so many listening, they need this message desperately mm-hmm. right now. And so I just want to thank you. And I just want to encourage everyone who is listening, this book, wherever you are, whether you feel like, I don't know if I believe in God, or I want to believe, but I need, I need help. I need tangible encouragement. Or Michelle's story has resonated with you and you're thinking, I want to know more. How is she standing? How is she showing up? How is she singing? How is she continuing to speak of the goodness of God in the midst of so much suffering? Go get a copy of her book. You're going to need to pre-order it because... It's not quite out just yet. It comes out in March, but please pre-order it. A Faith That Will Not Fail, 10 Practices to Build Up Your Faith When Your World Is Falling Apart. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks, Crystal. Thank you for joining us today. 
For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 